I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading for our sermon text this morning. As we continue our series through Matthew chapter 10, the Sermon on the Mission, we are going to look together at verses 5 through 10. Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 10. This is God's holy word for us today. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without payment. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town... Oh, that's it. (laughs) I just want to preach the whole series in one sermon. We'll stop at verse 10. This far for the reading of God's word for our sermon this morning. Let's ask God to bless our time in his word. Father, we do thank you for your holy word, and we ask that you will indeed bless our time in it. May the unfolding the preaching, the exposition, the application of your word today. Give us light. May you teach us your wisdom so that we can learn together as believers and as a church how to continue in the mission you've called us to do, how to be about the ministry of the mission that's required of us. So you be our teacher, and we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we continue in Matthew chapter 10 with our sermon series, the Sermon on the Mission. And what we've seen so far is we began in chapter 9, the the prologue to the setup for chapter 10. And in chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, we looked at the need for the mission. We also could have called that sermon the model of the mission because we saw Jesus modeling what the mission looks like. And he's our perfect example. He's the one we follow. We do the mission he showed us how to do in chapter 9. And the need for the mission specifically is that the harvest is plentiful. There's a huge crop to bring in, but the laborers are few. There's not many workers on hand in the vineyard, in the field, gathering in the harvest. And so we are to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. And one of the questions we ought to have when we pray that prayer is, Lord, is it my turn to be one of those laborers you're sending? And then last time we were together, we moved into chapter 10, and we looked at verses 1 through 4, and we looked at the men for the mission, and we looked at how Jesus chose these 12 out of all of the disciples that he had following him. He chose these 12 disciples, these 12 students, and he said, you guys are now ready. You've watched me do the mission, 
And now it's your turn to do the mission. And he goes from calling them disciples, students, to apostles. People who are sent out on their mission assignment. Who are now in the field as one of those laborers bringing in that plentiful harvest. And to move from disciple to apostle means to go from being a student, an apostle in training, to being now an apostle in practice. Not a capital A apostle, like one of the original disciples who helped found the church, like the apostle Paul or Peter. Not a capital A apostle, which was a specific office for the original generation of the church that doesn't pass on to anybody else. But a a small A apostle, someone who is sent by Jesus to be on his kingdom mission. And that is open to all of us. And at some point, we're all meant to graduate from student to being in the field. We got our degree and we're doing the job. That's what we looked at last time we were together. The need for the mission and the men for the mission. In our passage this morning, Jesus begins to tell his disciples, his 12 sent ones, his apostles, what to do on their mission. Jesus tells them where to go. He tells them what to do when they get there. And He tells them the level of trust and courage that is required to do it. And in these opening instructions to the twelve for their first ministry tour around Galilee 2,000 years ago, Jesus has at least three lessons for us that we can learn and take away this morning as we seek to carry out the ministry of the mission that God is calling us to. And the first lesson we learn is about the importance of locating the ministry. Locating the ministry. In verses 5 and 6, Jesus tells the twelve where to go. He says, not here, and not here, but here. Look at verses 5 and 6. These twelve, Jesus apostled the verb form of the word apostle, he sent out, instructing them, teaching them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. So not here and not here, but, verse 6, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now we know from chapter 9, verse 35, chapter 4, verse 23, and chapter 11, verse 1, that the twelve are being sent on a ministry tour just of Galilee. They're not supposed to go to Judea. They're not supposed to go to Gentile lands. They're not crossing the Mediterranean to go to Rome. They're supposed to just stick to Galilee. That's where Jesus has been doing His ministry, and now it's their turn to go do what He's been doing in Galilee. So within Galilee, they must not go to Gentile areas or to Samaria. Only go to fellow Galileans. And he calls these fellow Galileans the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this means the wayward children of Jacob in Galilee. When you hear house of Israel... You should think dynasty, like the royal house of David, or uh, the British monarch sometimes, or the house of Windsor. It's 
It's a royal term. It's a dynasty kind of term. And here it's the house of the patriarch, Jacob, who was renamed Israel in the book of Genesis. So sometimes when you're reading your New Testament and the parts of the Old Testament, when you see the word Israel, it may not mean the nation. It might mean the man, Jacob, as in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel. And his 12 sons are the tribes of Israel. So here he's talking about Jacob, the lost children, the wayward children of Jacob who were scattered around Galilee. You see how he's narrowing the focus. He's zooming in. If you imagine a funnel, the mouth of the funnel is the widest, and then the narrowest is down at the bottom, the little hole at the bottom. And so he's starting at the widest end. Don't go to the Gentiles, which is the rest of the whole world. Don't go to the Gentiles. Zoom in. Don't go to Samaria. Zoom in. Just go to Galilee. And zoom in. Just go to the lost sheep, the wayward children of Jacob, the house of Israel in Galilee. And this language of the lost sheep of the house of Israel should remind you of what we saw in chapter 9, verse 36, where it says of Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So these are lost sheep. These are shepherdless sheep. They are wayward. They are abandoned. They are vulnerable. They are in danger. They're lost. They're harassed oppressed, helpless. These are the people that Jesus wants them to go to. And his point is that he's telling them who to look for. Don't just go and wander around and do something to whoever you happen to bump into, but be intentional and deliberate about who you're looking for. And here it is. For this first tour, this is who you're looking for. Now, once we get to the end of the gospel, the Great Commission, it's go into all the nations, make disciples. There's no exceptions, no exclusions. Just go to everybody. But to start with, since you can't save the world all at once, to start with, just go to the people around you here in Galilee who are lost and who are helpless. Jesus is telling them where to go and who to look for, and that means ruling out some people and some places as the target audience of their ministry. Now, this teaches us an important lesson about our ministry as a church. We have to locate our ministry. We can't just simply think, well, the Great Commission says go to all the nations, so the forks is supposed to go to every nation. We couldn't if we wanted to. We can, we can support missionaries in nations, and we can support church planning in other areas, but Little old forks all by ourselves? No. We have, for our ministry, as the forks here where we are, we have to locate our ministry. We have to draw some targets. We cannot minister to everybody, and so we have to decide deliberately who we're going to minister to. In other words, we need to be thinking, discussing, and especially praying Jesus, where are you calling us to focus and target our ministry? Not here, not here, but here. These folks. Now, how you decide 
again, requires wisdom and prayer and looking for the leading of the Holy Spirit. But one thing you can do, one thing we can do, whether it's you sitting there individually who are thinking about what kind of ministry should I start and lead and prompt and promote, or whether it's elders in session meetings thinking what ministry should we try to lead the church to do, and everywhere in between, one of the questions you can use is the question I used to ask myself most days in high school when I became a super serious disciple of Jesus in high school. I used to go to school, and I would walk in the door, and I would, I would, I would pray this little prayer. It almost became a mantra. And I would say to myself, Lord, help me to see a need and meet that need. And that became a mantra. See a need, meet a need. Now, if someone needs an extra quarter at the drink machine, I mean, this isn't missionary work. This is just being kind and generous and letting people know it's because I'm a Christian. But if someone is a quarter short at the drink machine and I have an extra quarter, here you go. Now, if I don't have the quarter, I'm not on the hook for that, right? It's not like I have to have the quarter or I'm sinning. But and it didn't become legalism. It just became a, a, a thing to help me remember I'm to be on the lookout for need. And if I have the means available to me to meet that need from the most simple thing, like, yes, you can borrow my pencil for this test, up to, yes, I can pray for you because you're, you're, you lost your pet or you're, you know, a parent just got a bad medical report or whatever. And everywhere in between, if I see a need and I have the opportunity and the resources to meet it, why wouldn't I just go meet it? Why wait and say, Lord, I pray that somebody will give Marvin a quarter at the drink machine? I've got the quarter. <laughs> The Holy Spirit's smacking me on the back of the head and saying, give him your quarter. (laughs) So one thing we need to look for is we need to be sensitive for when the Holy Spirit is smacking us in the back of the head. Come on, dummies. The the people who have needs you can meet are right there. (laughs) Try praying like that. (laughs) The point is we need to be sensitive to What is Jesus calling us to do? And one thing we should be asking is, open our eyes to what's right in front of us. The harvest is plentiful. We're not out there with our magnifying glasses saying, where's the harvest? I don't see it. It's plentiful. Lord, tell me which area, which acre of the field you want me in. Which acre of the field does God want the forks in? Where is he calling us to focus and target our ministry. We want, as a church, to support our people and our community. We're called to do that, to support each other, care for each other, meet each other's needs, and to support our community, support the local businesses and and to support institutions and the things that are around us that we can support. Yes, of course, but that's not our mission. Our mission is to go to the lost and to the least. And that's what we need to be sensitive to. Lord, who around us is lost and who around us is the least? Where are the lost sheep? Where are the harassed? Where are the helpless? Where are the people who need our compassion? Where are the people who have needs we can meet? Where are they? They're not hard to find if we want to see them because the harvest is plentiful. So locate the ministry, whether it's us as a whole church or you as individuals or in groups. Be in prayer, Jesus, where in the field should I target my ministry effort to go to the lost and the least?
And that means we need plans. We need goals. We need strategies. We need ideas. Some of them will be good and will work. Some of them will fall flat. Some of them will be okay and work for a time and then fail later. And that's fine. But we need to be about this business of finding where our ministry should be located and then doing the things we need to go there. Who should we go to? And what should we do when we get there? And that takes us to the second lesson from our passage, which is about ministry work or what to do after you go. Going is a big step. It can be hard to build up the courage and think you're ready and then go. And once you go, now what? What do I do when I get there? Well, look at verses 7 and 8. Jesus says to his disciples, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Here, Jesus tells the twelve to say something and to do something. Say something and do something. And both are equally important and both are part of the same ministry message. We preach the message or proclaim the message with our mouths and with our feet and our hands in our lives. So what are these disciples, what are they supposed to say? Verse 7 says, they are told to make an announcement. They are to say, hear ye, hear ye, the king is on the way. The reign of the king is about to begin. The kingdom is at hand. It's within reach. It's just around the corner. It's within your grasp. It's at hand. It's here. It's a royal proclamation. That's what they're supposed to say. It's a royal proclamation about the kingdom of heaven. It's about the announcement, the gospel announcement. It's about repentance. It's about faith. It's all that stuff we love about the gospel, the free grace of God, forgiveness of sins. Death and resurrection of Christ. Now, Christ hasn't died and risen yet when he's saying these things. Okay? So at this point in the gospel, they're not there yet. Once the Great Commission comes around, now we are there. And since we're on this side of the Great Commission, it includes this whole big gospel message. And you don't leave anything out. You don't dumb anything down. And you don't water it down. It's the whole gospel, start to finish, repentance, faith, the whole thing. And it's a royal proclamation about the king and his kingdom. It's also, it's also about what it looks like. What it looks like when heaven rules earth at last. That's what this announcement's about. The word kingdom means government. Okay? Let's just, let's strip it of its spiritual kind of polish. Let's strip off that and let's just call it what it is. It's a government. And when I say government, you think of like town halls and capitol buildings and senators and representatives and bureaucracy and red tape and taxes and economics and you think of politics. When I say government, you start thinking politics stuff. You don't start thinking Jesus. 
But the word kingdom is a politics word. It's a, it's a government. It's a type of government. And it would have resonated with everybody Jesus was talking to because they were living in one. It was called the Roman Empire. An empire is a kingdom that rules other kingdoms. That's what an emperor is. It's a king of kings. It's a lord of lords. He rules over all the other rulers. That's an empire. One ruler over all the other rulers. One government to rule them all. And this proclamation is about there's a new government coming. The revolution is starting. It's not a violent one. It's Jesus' revolution. It's a kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven revolution, where the rule of heaven is coming to the earth. They're to tell people and show people what would it look like if Jesus sat on Caesar's throne. If Jesus was on the throne of the empire, how would he draw up the budget? What would his foreign policy be? What would his cabinet look like? Who would his ministers be? How would he run things? What laws and courts and justice and criminal justice and all the rest? What would it look like if Jesus sat on Caesar's throne? And think Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth, not just in heaven. Heaven's doing just fine. It's the earth that's the problem. So that's what they're supposed to say. They're supposed to talk about this announcement of the kingdom. And then they're supposed to show people what it would look like if it actually was real. If Jesus really did rule and reign on the earth. And it would look like his disciples, his followers, doing the things he would tell us to do. And this is the second thing here. Not just what they're supposed to say, but what they're supposed to do. In verse 8, they are to take the authority Jesus gave them in verse 1 and then go use it. So they are preaching to the lost in verse 7 and they're providing for the least in verse 8 where they are healing, raising, cleansing, and casting out the enemy. These are the things the kingdom does when it arrives in power. Disease can't stay around. Sickness can't endure. Death can't hold. Demons cannot maintain their grip on those they possess. The kingdom arrives with ferocious power to do spiritual warfare, not physical violence. It's a different kind of kingdom. It's a nonviolent kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. But it's a spiritual kingdom for this world. But it's not of this world. Which means it doesn't act like the kingdoms of this earth. It comes in a whole different way. Not with battalions and armies and war enforcing peace through victory. It comes with the power of love that sacrifices itself for the enemy. And it overcomes that way. It's a whole different kind of kingdom. They're preaching to the lost. They're providing for the least. And they are enacting the kingdom and showing its true power through their love, their compassion, and their mercy. And this teaches us another important lesson today. Our ministry work must be holistic kingdom work. It can't be one-sided. Here's what I mean. 
I mean, we can't have a talk ministry only. We can't have a kind of ministry. If we're going to do it, this mission requires we have a ministry that's not just us talking at people. You need to repent. Turn or burn. Read my sign. <laughs> that's, just, that's just a waste of sign. <laughs> it's a waste of time. It's a waste of sign. It's a waste of manpower, resources. To go out and yell at people with megaphones on the street as they're going to some concert. It's a waste of time. It doesn't minister to anybody. Even if what those people say is true. It's a waste of breath. So don't go do that, okay? Don't go do that. Megaphones and signs and yell at people as they're walking on the street. That's not preaching the gospel. That's not love. And it's not actually going to appeal to anybody. No lost person ever came to Jesus that way. If you can find me one, I'll buy your wings tomorrow night at wing night. That means you have 24 hours. That's just talk. Now, that's an extreme example, but what if we go somewhere and instead of like meeting needs, we're just out there telling people, you know, Jesus loves you and heaven and hell and the cross and resurrection and grace and justification by faith and the five solas and the Reformation and John Calvin and, <laughs> and we're giving them all the stuff, all the good theology that's important and vital and necessary. But then they're like, yeah, but I'm still starving. You'll see Jesus sooner. <laughs> that's what you're telling them. <laughs> it just does nobody any good if we just have a talking ministry now some people might get converted that way but it's not the whole proclamation it's not the whole ministry it's just half of it it's a vital half necessary important can't be left out don't leave the gospel behind do not water it down when you open your mouth to say it gospel 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 has to be there but if it's just gospel and it doesn't motivate us to actually help anybody to meet a need, to see a need, meet a need, it's not the whole thing. It's not everything Jesus wants us to be doing. We can't have a talking ministry only, but at the same time we can't have a serving ministry only where we just meet needs and never talk about Jesus and never talk about the gospel and never tell anybody about the vital eternal truths about their soul. You've got to have both. And the church too often has been, we're just going to evangelize and we're not going to meet anybody's needs <laughs> except our own. Or we're just going to serve people. Social gospel, just meet all the needs. And if people think about Jesus, great. But if not, at least people are not starving anymore. Okay, sure. Great. <laughs> If people get converted but have nothing to eat, okay, at least they're converted. If they have something to eat but aren't converted, okay, at least they're not hungry. All right, but can we do both? Can we have both? A talking ministry and a serving ministry. Whereas John Wesley says, it's the whole gospel to the whole person. Because we're not just souls floating around until we go to heaven. We have bodies that ache and are hungry and are in pain and need compassion. We're whole persons, and we need a holistic gospel ministry. The mission is both. Kingdom ministry work must be both service and gospel. Now, notice the variety of services in verse 8, where it says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Those are very different things. Now, this is, what he, this is what Jesus gave the apostles the power to do. 
they could actually go to somebody who was dead and say, get up, and they would. They could actually go to someone demon-possessed and rebuke the demon and bring the person freedom. They actually could go heal the sick. I mean, Jesus gave them the power to perform the miracles that he could do. Now, the point for us isn't, if you can't go raise somebody from the dead, you're a bad disciple. Okay? So the the application isn't, well, I need to be cleansing some lepers. Right? That's not the application. The point here isn't that you go do these, these literal specific things. The point is that you remember what we were talking about, the variety of services, the diversity of the mission that we talked about in chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, where there were six components to this mission. Go, teach, preach, heal, compassion, pray. And the point for us as a church is you need to go find where you fit best in one of those six areas. Really one of those five. Because going is for all of us to get to at some point. But not everybody has to go be an evangelist and like, Preaching. No one has, don't, not everybody here has to go be a preacher. Not everybody here has to be a teacher. Not everybody here has to do every single one of these things all the time. But find where your giftedness is. Are you especially good at ministering to people who need compassion? Oh, go. Go do that. Locate your ministry there. Are you especially good at teaching? Then go serve young disciples who need to be taught. Are you good at preaching? Seek to do that. Are you a powerful warrior in prayer? Now, all of us should pray, but some people just have this kind of gift at prayer. Then lead the charge and we'll rally behind you. Do you are you good at bringing healing to people? Then we'll rally behind you. The point is that all of us find our spot and then as a whole church with a holistic ministry, pulling in the same direction, we can just go like a vast army, sweeping forward across the field, bringing in this plentiful harvest. With the prayer team here, and the compassion team there, and the preaching team there, and the teaching team there, and everybody using their gifts, plugged in, engaged, serving, praying, giving God the glory. Amen. And then we'll see the harvest coming in. But if it's just us scattered individually, picking a little bit of harvest here, and you're over there picking a little bit, we're not organized, it won't be as effective. So we need to locate our ministry and we need to be about a holistic kingdom work where we talk and we serve. It's gospel and service. This is for our whole church. So find your spot and your area and get started. This brings us to our last lesson. It's at the end of verse 8. End of verse 8 says, You receive without paying, give without payment. And this connects to verses 9 and 10, where he says to the disciples, Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. Don't take any money. No bag for your journey. Don't pack any clothes. Or two tunics. No, you, okay, See, that's a loophole. I can't pack an extra tunic, so I'll just wear them both. Nope. Nope. Don't take an extra tunic. Don't wear any shoes. Don't take a staff. The laborer deserves his food. So they're supposed to go in this condition. 
no suitcase, no staff, no money, no shoes. And they're supposed to go and travel and do this ministry. The ministry of the mission is entirely a ministry of grace. We have received abundant grace. I freely you receive without paying. We have received abundant grace. And so we must turn and pour that grace out on our needy neighbors. But here's the lesson. If we are going to dispense grace, we need to remain constantly in a posture to receive that grace. And not try to do it in the arm of the flesh and our own strength. And try to think that expert strategies are all it takes to win souls or to advance the kingdom. To not let it become a worldly venture. We need to have venturesome ministry. But we need to venture everything on the provision and grace of God. We have to trust God to supply our needs as a church to do this mission. So if we know that God is calling us to do a certain mission and we can't afford it, that doesn't mean, oh, well, that was a good idea. No, if God's calling us to do it, venture some ministry says we, we set out and we start to do it and we trust God to use our wisdom and efforts to supply the needs, to fund it, finance it, and finish it. We trust God. In other words, we're not trusting in our own gold or silver or copper. We're not taking an extra tunic. We don't have an extra set of shoes or a staff. In other words, we're not trying to force it through our own efforts, but we are trusting God to give us everything that we need to do it. And this means that trust and courage is required. Trust and courage for a venturesome ministry where we risk big things to see God accomplish big things. Not in our strength, but in His. And so we don't let financial sorts of obstacles stand in the way of what it is God is calling us to do. But we rally together, and we, if we believe as a church we're called to do this thing, then we all own it. We all, we all gather in, we all pitch in, we all help fund it, fuel it, finance it, and finish it. And we pull together as a church to see that this ministry happens. And then we all own it. It's our ministry, not just those five or six people who, who started it. And then y'all go do it, and then we're the rest of the church, and y'all go do it. But no, we're doing it together. Even if you're on the front lines, we're still doing it with you. We're in it with you. The whole church is pulling together, and we're trusting God to give us what we need and to do through us and for us what we need Him to do. And so let's learn these lessons. Let's learn these lessons for this mission. And let's follow King Jesus on His mission. Let's follow the king on his mission to bring the kingdom in and to see Jesus do through us and with us what only he can do so that we get the joy of participating with him in what he's doing and he gets all the glory. And the people we serve and minister to, they get the joy with us. The harvest is plentiful. Let's go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the challenging instructions of Jesus to send us out. Thank you for the lessons that we can learn from his instructions. Thank you for what you have for us from your word. 
And help us to begin to move away from areas where you're not calling us to serve or give or help to minister. And help us target where you want us to be individually, as groups, and then as a whole church. And help us to think through what it means to have a holistic ministry where we're both proclaiming the message and we're enacting the message in the lives of real people who need you. And help us to risk great things, to be bold and do a new thing you're calling us to do, and to use wisdom and to pull together to see to it that we are ready and willing to receive all the grace you have for us, to see the ministry funded, to see it staffed with people, to see it go forward, and to watch you do what only you can do. We look forward to seeing your kingdom grow and expand through us as you move us out into your mission. And we look forward to that great harvest that you're going to let us bring in with you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.